Welcome to another edition of the Built for the Storm podcast. Hosted by three-time World Series champion Jeremy Affelt. Affelt brings it. Chopper on the infield. Affelt to the bag himself. Get ready to experience life's winding journey through the minds of proven leaders in the worlds of sports, business, and entertainment. And he strikes out. That's four straight for Affel. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Affel. As they draw up your own personal playbook to overcoming the odds and achieving real success. We just don't give up. We don't quit. You know how we pieced everything together, man. Seeing teams win like this, the way we win. What's the best way to weather a storm? Run into it head on, charging full steam ahead. This is unbelievable, you know, game seven. I mean, this will be a memory for a long time for me. I'm so happy I got to come to the park today. Here's the fearless leader of our pack, Jeremy Affelt. Joining us today on Built for the Storm podcast, we have a special guest. Her name is Naya. I am so excited for you to hear her story. She's awesome. She's a singer-songwriter out of Tampa, Florida. She has a beautiful voice. She blends a little bit of soul with a little bit of jazz and a little bit of alternative pop. She's very intriguing. She's a beautiful singer, like I said, and a beautiful songwriter. She tells an awesome story in her music. You can check her out on Apple or on Spotify by searching for her name, N-Y-A. Put in N-Y-A in the search engine and have a listen. You won't be disappointed. Y'all, Naya, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to kind of start off a little bit about talking about a mutual passion of ours, and that is helping those raised in poverty. Everybody who knows kind of my story a little bit and what I'm all about, I do a lot of stuff with poverty and youth culture. Your childhood, though, and upbringing have given you such an interesting perspective and your motivation to help others is absolutely inspiring. So I cannot wait to have this conversation. Thank you for joining me today on Built for the Storm podcast. So my childhood is a little odd, to be honest. So my mom is a Puerto Rican immigrant and had a very hard upbringing in poverty. But not only that, she was like sexually, she was sexually abused as a child. Her dad was a drug addict. Her mom outright just said she just wished she was never born. So oh, my man. mom had and has deep psychological scarring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah. And so taking all that into account, it was always a little like tumultuous, if that makes sense. Like my mom is a little bit chaotic. Sure. <laughs> and my parents divorced when I was five years old. So I went and lived with my mom. We lived with my mom and she didn't have a lot of money. My dad had money and he helped, but she was obviously single. And we lived in a very small little apartment in the not best area of town. Yeah. And it's weird because those memories are very subliminal. If that makes sense. Like I remember not having food in the house. Like I remember like sleeping on a mattress on the floor, but like that was such a, I was so young. Yeah. Um, I remember like my mom's chaos, but so that is the start. Things kind of stabilized as I got older, but then when I was 12, my sister became deathly ill. It was a mystery for a long time because she just started dying. Nobody could figure out what was going on with her. And she ended up being diagnosed with childhood Addison's 
but it was obviously like the whole dynamic of my family shifted because my mom spent most of the time in the hospital with my sister. My sister was living in the hospital. So I was 12 when that happened. And I ended up spending a lot of time alone with my, it was just me. And then my stepdad, he was just kind of a, I mean, he was an alcoholic, but he wasn't an aggressive alcoholic. He sure. was just like, he passive. Right. <laughs> He's functioning. Sense, right? He functions, so he functioning alcoholic. Yeah. He just functions. Yeah. Sure. But like very passive, like he just come home and drink and like watch game shows. So all of that to say is like, eventually I went and lived with my dad later during that period of time. But I didn't have like at 12 is when I would actually tell you that I remember my mom starting to be more abusive mm. to me and it was emotional. She was never, she never hit me yeah. because she was physically abused and she never ever did that to me and my sisters, but she was so stressed. Like I understand my sister was dying <laughs> and yeah. nobody could figure out what was wrong with her. And I'd come to the hospital and her reaction to that was to be very aggressive. Mm. And, you know, I was kind of told at 12, like, and I don't usually talk about this. So like, this is like, this is very an area of my life. Yeah. I really do not talk about a lot, but yeah. I was told a lot like that. I was selfish that I was basically for having normal feelings of like what's going on at 12 years old. I was in a not the best situation, right? Yeah. And it wasn't about me. That's the reality. It was about my sister, which, yeah. listen, she didn't want to be there. <laughs> she yeah, wanted yeah. to be fine. So, yeah. right. And um, so eventually, like on a like wing and a prayer, a doctor diagnosed her with Addison's by like accident and they saved her life. Oh, um, that was like a couple years later. Now she, it's a chronic illness. She's probably going to be sick for the rest of her life. They didn't think she'd make it to 18, but she did and she's okay. She just has to take care of herself a lot more than the normal person, right? And it ended up being that my mom had the exact same condition as my sister. So there's some kind of link there. So later in my teenage years, I was going to the hospital, but for my mom, not for my sister. Mm. So all of that to say is for me, when I got to travel, it was like, I get to leave all this. Uh, yeah. Like my dad yeah. was kind of my safe haven. It was like the fun stuff. And so I was like, and to add this in, because I missed a lot of school when I was 12, 13 years old, I never really fit in in the school that I went. So I got picked on a lot and I was just a little different. I looked weird. I wasn't traditionally pretty. I didn't start looking traditionally attractive until like 19 or 20. Gotcha. So I got bullied a lot for the way that I looked. I hate because I, I really am a positive person, but I, it was a hellish time. No, I can only imagine. <laughs> I, I can only imagine, but it's traumatizing on your emotions, how it shapes you. Just thinking about what you're saying. So I've done a lot of therapy, right? I've had a lot of, I've had trauma in my recent, recently, uh, quite a bit of family trauma. And I just learned a lot about myself uh, through that because my boys are super important. So I wanted to be super healthy for my boys. I wanted to be healthy for my, I'm getting married in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to be super healthy for uh, my new bride. Learning so much of how childhood family history, childhood wounds and trauma and things like that can affect you. And my parents weren't bad. They messed up just like every parent will from time to time. And they shaped you a certain way. Like we're going to shape our kids. So when you're in an abusive situation, especially emotionally abusive, 
it can put it take a toll on you and i just wonder your strength like have you ever sat i'm sure maybe you have maybe you haven't have you sat with people and tried to understand a little bit because it's what creates health right if i can understand what happened to me i can understand why i think the way i do and then i can also understand what it's going to take for me to get healthy because of all the trauma that was not my fault i mean kids it's never the kids fault. the kids are not at fault for any trauma that comes on they're kids you're 12 years old like there's nothing you can do you know like there's a responsibility on other people and i can only imagine i have empathy for it because i can only imagine how you had to did you alienate at all did you alienate yourself like from friends you said you was a little bit awkward in high school you were bullied did you have friends um. did you I did. And I tried really hard to like connect. Like I, I did sports like crew. I was in crew and that really helped. Like oh, I had yeah. a good amount of success in like rowing yeah, uh, as sure. a coxswain. Yeah. That's like the person who screams who's really tiny yeah, yeah. in the front of the boat. Yeah. And so I did try really hard. That doesn't mean that girls aren't really mean. And no. I went to an all girls school for two years yeah. of high school and that was terrible. Like I just, cause I didn't think like everybody else and I had so much outside responsibility outside, away from school. I think for me, like you asked me a question, you said, did you do therapy? So I've done a lot of therapy oh. and I will say that how I got there was when I was like 16 years old, my father sold his company. So my mom worked for my dad. She was the COO of his company and they're friends. So that was actually something positive. Like they had a good dynamic, sure. but Basically, she her job was her coping mechanism. And my mom has severe mental illness and mental health issues from exactly what we said earlier yeah. about running from problems yeah. and denial. Yeah. And yeah. so at 16, my mom had a full mental breakdown and she became non-functional. There, she was not an adult in the house anymore, gotcha. really. And I... I remember I came home one day and she said to me, Natalie, you're going to have to step up and be an adult now. I was a 16 year old kid. Yeah, yeah, which is abusive. And I had so, four yeah. siblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and my stepdad had just kind of been found out to be an alcoholic. Like, I've, we'd, we'd just found all the vodka bottles hidden yeah. in the cabinets. Like, again, this is not stuff I, I like tell most yeah. people because I love my mom. Yeah, and no, we that's... have a good relationship now. Sure, right? But basically, those two years of sixteen to eighteen, my mom was non-functional. She was aggressive. She was in and out of the hospital. I remember the only time in my life I've ideated suicide, like seriously, was when I was seventeen years old. I okay. said, "If this does not end, seventeen, eighteen, I was like, if this does not end in a year." I'm going to give myself a year. That's what I told myself. Wow. If my life does not get better, I'm going to kill myself. That's a scary thing. Now, wow. I've, yeah, I've never, since this is the only time in my life I've ever ideated suicide. Yeah. And when I went to school, I went to NYU, that summer, my mom attempted suicide. And Shaika told you she was in a spiral. And after she told me that, it was my fault, which yeah. she's since apologized uh, for. Uh, um, and... When I tell you just, it's really hard. That period of my life's very hard for me. It was mostly just really bad. Granted, that's the same time in my life I found music. That's the same time in my life that I really like learned a lot for myself through sports and those relationships. Like I made the best, I'm a positive person. Like I make the best of my time. You know, that's my philosophy. Yeah. But honestly, when I remember those years, I'm just like, thank God they're done. Yeah. I, I never want to go back there. 
So the thing is that that year that I went to college, I was like unweaving all these narratives that were false from abuse and just from what I had experienced. I mean, I was diagnosed with PSD and um, by a psychiatrist. Like I saw a doctor because I was so depressed when I was like 19, 18, 19, I couldn't leave my apartment. Like I ended up not being able to do college. Like even though I was getting straight A's, I barely showed up. Yeah. And I was like stopping functioning. And so there's two really important things that happened to me. One is, Eventually, I was able to come out of that fog and really reach out and get help. And my dad was a big part of that. But there was one other thing, which is the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I can prominently tell you like this. But this thing maybe saved my life, which is really odd. The summer before I started college, I told you my sister has Addison's, like pretty severe case of Addison's. We were in an apartment together in Soho, and my mom was actually there. This was kind of before her suicide attempt. Yeah. And my sister, people have things called like um, basically like an an adrenal attack. And she had an adrenal attack. It kind of comes out of nowhere. And needless to say, she almost died in my arms in Soho. Mm. It was terrible. Her heart was like, beat was like non-existent i've never sorry yeah it's fine i also don't talk about this a lot because this yeah. is personal i've man. never really understood what it meant to like beg for something i swear to god i begged for my sister to stay alive yeah. i like yeah can only imagine sorry no it's okay so that was probably the worst day of my life it was terrible. And my mom was there and she was like in mom mode. She came like after. And I, I just realized, first of all, how fleeting life is, how fragile, like, and it's not that my whole childhood hadn't informed that, but it has a different feel when it's like right in your face, you know? And, and I also realized how much my mom had gone through like the amount of trauma and stress yeah. my mom had been under her in her life while also helping run a huge company. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? It opened the door for forgiveness mm. for me. Wow. That's good. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah. I was able to let go what my mom had done to me mm-hmm. because I understood more about her. And yeah. that's not to say, look, we've had our talks. She's apologized to me. Like we had a sincere conversation where she of her own volition was like, I'm sorry for the things I put you through. And that was very healing. But I was able to realize that I didn't want to be my mom. I didn't want to kill myself or try attempt to kill myself. Sure. I didn't want to live my life dealing with things in a toxic manner that were self-sabotaging. I knew that this was a gift. I'm alive. This is my gift. I'm not going to waste any of the time that I have on this. So was it really hard? Do I have still have trauma about certain things? Like, do I still have a lot of anxiety? Do I, I mean, I take very low prescription medication. I have a psychiatrist. I occasionally do therapy less now, but I just knew I didn't. I was like, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live. That's right. Yeah, that's right. What, so, so but what in you, yeah. Naya, what in you caused you to stay though? Because I think in a lot of these circumstances, the toxicity is too much. 
right? And no one can really handle that amount of toxicity in a healthy way if you stay in it. But what was it? Because it reminds me of the Buffalo because of that, right? So you didn't try to take the storm and then be like, nah, I'm out. What do you think is in you that caused you to be like, I'm going to stay around my sister. I'm going to stay around my mother. Because some people just roll out. They're like, no, I can't do it. And there's some health to that at times too, right? There's some healthiness to be able to say there's a boundary here. I have to move on for my own personal health. But there is something really special about your story of redemption of I stayed, I walked through it. I'm still dealing with certain scenarios because I went through it. But then you were able to forgive, which is a super important thing for people that deal with storms because when storms come there's a lot of collateral damage and forgiveness is all almost always a necessity in some way shape or form you don't always forgive people i look at it as i'm going to forgive you for how you affected me i'm also going to remember what you did but it's because i want to learn from it but i'm going to forgive you for how you affected me that's a huge part of my story is i forgave how people affected me but i'm always going to remember and keep myself guarded in some boundaries. But what inside of you said, I need to stay around rather than you could have left and went on the other side of New York. You could have went to back to Florida. You, you, you didn't have to be around your sister and your mom, right? What, what caused you to want to be there? Well, my mom went to a kind of rehab for mental health right after she attempted suicide. And actually around that time before I like literally broke up with my mother. So there was a year where we didn't talk. I couldn't have her in my life for that year, right? I was too close to everything that had happened. I needed to draw boundaries with her. I was like, if you're going to be in my life after that period, you're going to treat me like this. We're not ever going back to what it was. Yeah, boundaries, that's good, yeah. Um, So that was very important for us to have a nice relationship that we have now. I think also too, it's just like, I told my husband this, um, when I think of my young life, like as a, like a child, I feel like I just remember being very loved. So like something that is ever present in whatever's happened to me is that I know my parents love me. And I know that sounds weird because like there were moments that were very hard with my mom, but my parents are both like willful, strong people who just have been through so much, both of them individually. And that was the example that I saw. So while I saw some negative, I also saw like, look, this is life. Life can be really hard, but there's going to be something really beautiful at the end of this if I decide that there's going to be something really beautiful at the end of this. And so, yeah, I'd say that both I credit to my parents. I, I think I knew I was loved and I knew that sometimes things are hard, but that doesn't mean you throw everything out. I like it. And you think you learned that because so this is hypothetical. You, you stayed with your mom. You went through a rough time. Obviously, your childhood was, was really traumatic, but you stayed. So you understood the bad part of life, right? Your dad, you said your dad had money, correct? But you did not stay with him or you did stay with him at some point? So my dad was like, always, I saw him a lot. Like I talked to him every day on the phone, but it was usually weekends okay. or trips. So my mom was the main caregiver. Um, and my dad was like, my dad had money, but he came from nothing. So he built whatever, that was all his own thing. Sure. um, Which changes the tone of things. Like it's not, you know, like it's just the mentalities that people have. Um, You know, sometimes I didn't understand growing up why my dad was hard. I guess that's him. Like, and he's very loving, but sometimes he's hard. And I'm like, what was it that, and 
his own life experience informed that tough mentality. Yeah. Like he's like, I'm going to make it by my hands or I'm not going to make it. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Work ethic. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you so, think, but do so, you yeah. think if you lived with your dad, he has great story to tell. Obviously he's self-made, which is super important, but kids, unfortunately what happens is, is when they raised in a certain way where they just see life in grandeur or, or travels all the time, they don't necessarily think that when life gets tough, you stick through it because there is something better on the other side. They think if it's too hard, I'm just going to do something else because I've only seen the side of easy street, let's say, because it's how I was raised, whether our parents had it, but it's how I was. But do you think being with your mom and dealing with some of that chaos allows you to press on through these to where you have that view now of just because it's hard doesn't mean it's over and life is messy relationships are messy people are messy because we're just messy people no one's perfect does that help you with your view of life on how you deal with trials or tribulations or friction or chaos in your life now that you're like I've been through this and I know I can keep going because I know there's good things coming or how has that shaped you you think? I think that it certainly has. I think sometimes it makes me more jaded (laughs) about certain things and I have to catch myself. Sure. But I think, yeah, of course, I realized I'm made of stronger stuff and I don't need to like crumble and fall because of one bump in the road. Right. Yeah. I also think that like my dad is the only person who I can say from 18. No, I mean, I started 16 has believed in me 100%. Mm. He never wavers, even when I waver. That man has more faith in me than anyone on this planet. And he's, you can do it. Like, he's, if I didn't have him, to be honest, if I didn't have a force in my life, which believed in me so unequivocally and always pushed me forward, I don't know that I would have dealt with everything I dealt with the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think the father role is super important just in general for kids? I mean, I think that it's a whole picture of how much love you feel. Like, for example, my youngest sibling, Anna, is adopted. She is my half cousin. And both of her parents, this is another thing that came in. My mom adopted my cousins. And now it's only one of them. But when I was 13 years old, 14, because their mother was abusing and neglecting them. I mean, we're talking about not feeding them. We're talking about real, it was foster care system or it was my mom. Look, Anna's got it, had a tough, I mean, her dad didn't want anything to do with her. Her mom pretty much used her as a pawn the majority of her life and doesn't really deeply care. And her mom was my mom. That was all she had Mm. and us. And she, for me, she's my sister, right? So that's how I look at that, that she's my sister. But I think sometimes it's not ideal all the time. You can't always have both parents, right? So you just want to make sure kids feel love. But in an ideal situation, if you can have a mom and a dad, that's amazing, right? That's people say that's a, it's a privilege to grow up with a mom and a dad that love you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree. I I just, you know, from a father standpoint, uh, obviously I am one. So I just look at it as I talk to men quite a bit on this and I'm like, man, there's something super important. Moms are very nurturing and super important, I think, especially in these early adolescent years. 
because I think that it helps these kids understand the warmth of love in certain ways. And men seem to lose themselves. I feel like at times when their kids are real young, they're like, I don't even know what to do. You know, like you, <laughs> as a man, you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like he's yelling, I, you know, like I, you know, like I, you know, and dads can get kind of like frustrated where the mo- the mothers kind of bring a lot of order in those times. Yeah. And I think as I see my boys get older, but I only have sons, but my ability to talk to them in a calming way, I don't, I, I try not to use a lot of tone. I've learned that that doesn't always help. And so I, I try to listen to my sons and, and shape them, be leaders, teach them chivalry. Like from a father's standpoint, when I look at my sons, I'm like, listen, how I treat a woman is important for you to see as you grow older and how I treat people is important for you to see as you learn to be a man in this really chaotic world and how you treat humans, how you treat people, how you treat women, how you treat friendships, relationships, whatever it is, the man really shaped it. Now, when I talk to some of these men who have daughters, man, to date your daughter, to show her how a man is to treat a woman in the sense of how they treat them is super important too, just in some of their identity and their upbringing. So I think men are, men can be really, really important to these kids and, and to their lives. And so just hearing that your dad has been the person that said, man, he has never wavered. I just appreciate that as a father because being that stable ship for you, being that person that said no matter what storm you attack or you took on as a kid, there was someone there that was going to be there. You didn't look around and you weren't just by yourself in the storm. You weren't just left to figure it all out. You always had somebody at that time that you needed to be stable and that was stable. So I, I appreciate that comment about Yeah, you, about I think if, if the situation, like when I look back, I think that maybe there's a little bit of like stereotypical gender roles, which kind of yeah. caused more trouble for me. Sure. Like I think that my dad's philosophy was, Lisa's got it taken care of. And yeah. so in his mind, he left my mom a lot of room. She didn't always use that room very well. Yeah. And he didn't know most of what was going on. Like this is the thing that's I think probably the thing that traumatized me the most. I know it's gonna odd is not being believed. It's mm. very hard. Like oh. I I remember like trying to reach out to so many people saying like home is bad (laughs) like my mom's like things aren't good things aren't right like and for me it was like my mom was always so charming and really good at like kind of you know moving around things and people were like oh she's just being dramatic I was like I was not being dramatic and it took years I mean it took my mom having a full-on mental breakdown like I'm talking about one flew over the cuckoo's nest of biblical proportion for people to start understanding that I hadn't been making up all of what I was trying to reach out for help for years. I mean, I remember I told people and I feel bad. Like I know that it's so hard. Like I felt so guilty for telling my sister this, but I I told my sister about me thinking about wanting to commit suicide and she was younger than me, but like there weren't many people. Like I reached out to a few people and people don't know how to handle it. So they act like you never said it. Mm. And that's not her fault. Like she was literally two and a half years younger than me. She was a baby. She was figuring out her own place in the situation. But even the other people that I told, if someone tells you that, you can't just let it sit and ignore it. You got to really make sure that they're okay. Like, Mm. like, can I get you help? Can I help? You know, is there someone who like, could you talk to someone? Like, so I don't look back at, 
anything. I've had a really privileged life. That's actually how I look at it. I've had opportunities most people never get. And I have a lot of happiness. Uh, so yeah. I just like, I think it's really important to like my outlook on my experience actually is very positive. I know it might not sound like it yeah. at times. No, I think it um, actually sounds a lot like it because you went through a lot for you to still and re- forgiveness tells me you have a positive outlook on it. So that's pretty impressive. I mean, how old are you, Naya? I'm 26. So 26, like I'm 43. So you're not a kid, but I kind of, I'm not calling you, but I kind of <laughs> I look at you sometimes like, oh, you're really young yet. You know, uh, I, I just feel at your age even to be able to forgive and to do life the way you are and see it the way you see it, it's very mature, but it's very mature, especially because of your emotional, the emotions that you've gone through. You could be stunted. There's a lot of people your age that can't grow up because they can't figure out what you figured out that for you to even say, I actually see myself as privileged and how I went through life is actually a super mature thought process because I don't think that a lot of people would say that if they were in your position based on what you went through and they would carry the animosity. And I think your ability to forgive, your ability to see the sunshine rather than the storm clouds, your ability to see that I'm still living a privileged life and I still see that keeps me very positive. I'm able to forgive. I'm able to move on. I'm able to function in a high capacity and not always blame everybody else, but know that I am a human and I have the right to make my own decisions. Very intriguing, especially at your age with what you went through not that long ago. So I just, man, I compliment you on that. I I really do. It's, it's very inspiring. I want to get to your music in a second because I think it's super important, but the thought process on you weren't believed, not believable. It's very hard and you don't have kids, right? No kids? No, no, okay. uh, no so not yet, not it's yet. Very, it's very difficult. Um, my 10-year-old, and eh, you kind of just, you know, I wasn't born yesterday, so you can read through the, <laughs> the 10-year-old thinks he can trick you, and you're like, man, yeah, nice try, <laughs> buddy. But a 15-year-old, they can naturally manipulate, right? Because they want their way. And my son's awesome. My, my oldest son is a tender, big, strong, tender kid. He's a big teddy bear. But he argues with the best of them in the sense of not in a battle, but almost like he can throw arguments out there to get you to try to see the way he sees things, even though he has no idea it's not the right way. But so it's <laughs> it, it's super hard to sometimes always believe him because you don't know, you know. So like for, for people, it's hard in this day and age to say you got to believe everything they say. Now, the suicide thing, you, you definitely need to, to take that seriously, but... Do you think they didn't believe you because you were being, you were being, that, that's how they saw it as dramatic or what? I guess I just trying to figure out how to encourage people. To, I think to that trust. some people, and I say this, like, I want you to know, like, I love my mom so much. She is one of the most clever manipulators I've ever sure. met in my life. Yeah. I mean, it. it's a skill level. In business, it's great because she's not, it's not, it's not, she's not doing anything bad, but she knows exactly the right things to say, exactly when to say it and exactly how to say it. And I, if that's the case, it's really easy to make it look like, well, she's just being dramatic. It wasn't like that. Mm, Right. The thing that is like, you also have to understand is like, I've been like the, um, you know, my mom had me at 24. Okay. 
she was young. Yeah, yeah, it's really young. And I was, in some ways, when I was growing up, she was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and I now being close to her age, I understand. But like, you have to imagine that like my mom kind of, I was always the one who was telling her like, hey, that guy's not, that I wouldn't date him. Like, no, something's really off. Yeah. She never listened to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, sure. You know, like about my stepfather or about even the men that she dated as she was older, some of them being a little bit dangerous. Sure. But I think my point in all of that is I understand for people who are in a situation where they're totally out of control and they have no ability to reclaim the control of that situation. And that's what it is when kids are in, usually, right? Because yeah. you're a kid, you don't have the power. My yep. mom used to say to me growing up, this is a dictatorship, not a democracy. Mm, that's that's, how, that's, and that's how things are run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, it kills your voice, you know. So why would they believe you? Because they're not setting you up in a position to be believable because of how the house is run. And your mom was able to create that environment for people to see. That makes sense. So why music? What was it? So I always loved my parents are both like avid listeners, not musicians in any sense, but listeners of music. And like, I remember growing up by the pool, my dad always had his mix with the stereo. And so I always loved listening and I loved jazz, like from about eight to 10, I fell in love with like Frank Sinatra. So yeah, I was, was like a that. little odd. Yeah, I was reading yeah. that. I was like, wow, that's why I'm intrigued. I'm like, Frank Sinatra, like, all right. Like, I, I, I like, it's yeah, interesting. I love jazz um, and like jazz vocalist for a while it was just that it was just loving music loving film loving like any um ability that I had to escape right it was all about escape and for me like vocalists like in jazz music it's so heart-wrenching at moments right it's this very pure kind of suffering I don't know how to, I know that yeah. I don't know if I'm not explaining it well you know you but are it actually. allows you to like transcend Anyway, I um, eventually started taking singing lessons accidentally because I wanted to get into the school play. I switched schools when I was 16 okay. and I wanted to get into the school play and um, I didn't get in, <laughs> but I did fall in love with music and yeah. I was obsessed. I fell in love with singing and I had always been writing because I loved reading. Like I was an avid reader from the time I was six or seven years old. And so I started kind of putting it together. Like, oh, I like singing. I like poetry. Let me try to write. And then I got into this program with the Grammys in Florida. They were doing this little pilot program and I got in and it was all about music collaboration with other people your age. And then they had like mentors who were like kind of more established music industry figures come. And yeah. so I just found a community. I found a way to have a voice in writing mm. that I wasn't allowed to have at home, yeah, even though yeah. I like fought tooth and nail anyway for it. Yeah. And I um, just felt free. And so basically I never stopped because it was the thing that probably one of the things that was life-saving for me. It yeah. was like, I have this, this is in my corner. I don't have friends right now. That's okay. My, like, I'm in a terrible home situation. That's okay. Mm. I have music. You know, yeah. and I think that's what music does for a lot of artists. Like what I'm saying there is pretty common. Yeah, because I feel like with you, I guess maybe how I hear you, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but you were able to be expressive um, because in your home, if you didn't feel you could be expressive or dictatorship basically tells me you weren't allowed to be expressive because it's a dictatorship in your home. And you find a group of people 
that allows you to express you're not judged, you are heard, you're able to be heard, you're able to get your feelings and you connect with something and you've been validated. And I think that that's for kids, people in general, but especially kids is they don't feel validated. They don't feel like they can be heard. They don't feel like what they feel matters. And you found that. I mean, the poetry side, the jazz side, I'm a big scotch and cigar guy. Uh, And so when I would play in different cities, I needed that same escape because our pressure to win was pretty high. And and as I got older and more comfortable in that pressure, I functioned in anxiety. I was able to function in it. it. It was normal for me. But, man, my last probably three, four years before I retired, I was choosing to find jazz clubs or cigar bars that played it where I could actually sit and I didn't have to be around teammates I didn't have to go out I didn't have to have these big dinners I actually was the guy that snuck off in like a little cigar bar jazz area and I just sat there and I just felt right I just I let it go for that little moment I just said I don't have to worry about winning I don't have to worry about performing I don't have to worry about whether someone likes me or dislikes me I don't have to worry about if I came through for 25 guys or didn't come through right now, I'm just feeling and I can think and just relax. And there's those moments. And so I get, I'm not lyrically talented like you. I'm not, I I have no talent in it, but my understanding of what it does is I I definitely see that. And I feel that. And I I felt it as a older person, I was 36 when I retired. So I was in my thirties, but I do understand that. And I appreciate that. So you're, your newest song is Mothers and Daughters, correct? And it's about this. So that's Mother's Daughter. Yeah, that's that's my most recent. And then at the end of this month, I have another one coming out called Side Effect. Side Effect. And, um, and what's yeah. that about? What, what, what got, so it's not called Mothers and Daughters. It's called Mother's Daughter, right? Or am yeah. I? Okay. And that was about. Mother's Daughter, yeah. That was part of your relationship with your mom. That was some of the feeling you wrote on that. Yeah, exactly. That was all about kind of a fear actually for myself. Like, am I going to repeat? Am I doomed to be my mom? Am I doomed to be kind of insane? Like, is this the kind of fear that you have, you know, and working through that? Like, and that's really what that's about. Like, and just the feeling of that sadness you have when you love someone, but you can't make them better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. The you said the fear of, of being that. I talk about that a lot on this podcast. So do you fear failure or do you fear success? I think I fear both. Ah, okay. I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail because then I feel like I've like become, and this is terrible, but like meaningless as a human. Sure. But I, I'm scared to feel the happiness of success. Like I'm scared to feel like, my narratives of self-hate aren't really right. It's a very complex mix of feelings, but it's a weird, sometimes when I feel too happy or really like happy or like things are going really well, I'm very scared. Mm. I'm like, Oh shit, what's going to happen now? Yeah. yeah. yeah, When's the other shoe going to drop? You know? Um, And I've tried really hard to get rid of that, but it's really hard for me because growing up, it was always one thing after the other, you know? Yeah, no, Uh, that's actually a very common thing. Thank you for saying that. I I think everybody goes through it to a point of like, it's going so well, something has to even out. 
and then when is it going to happen? But that actually distracts us from continuing to enjoy where we're at. And I've talked to my sons about that a lot too, but I look at it as controllables and uncontrollables. And when we start dealing too much with our uncontrollables, we'll actually not be able to handle our controllables. And for me, one of the things that got me past that, Naya, a little bit was if the storms are inevitable and they're going to come, whatever they are, whatever they look like, like mine, I was cruising along and I lost a 22-year marriage. I'm a very loyal person, so I'm a family guy. And so losing that was like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. And I actually felt like a complete failure over it. But it wasn't uncontrollable for me in the sense of like, I can't control what happened there to a point. Right. And I was like, well, what else is going to happen? And then I got to the point where I'm like, I don't have control over that. I only have control on how I handle these situations and react to them. But I was a fear of failure guy. So I was afraid to fail. I didn't fear success as much as much as I was like, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to let people down. And when you're cruising along, the little bit in that head said, but when I do fail, how am I going to handle it? Will I be able to recover from it? Will I be able to get back on that train that says keep moving forward? And it's been very hard to kind of think that way. So I, I do appreciate what you did say there. And, and I appreciate how you're functioning. So what next? If it was the end in my life, if I could say I accomplished all I need to accomplish, could you answer that or can you not answer that yet? If you see down the road. For me, I honestly think, and I know this sounds reductive, I just want to be happy. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, what that means, but I want to enjoy every second I can. Sometimes there's just hard moments of the life that I have. Um, and so that's my, like, if I think about, I succeeded, it'll be like, that's, I succeeded because I made the best out of my life. I think like for me, like, you know, I'm, I'm living in Uruguay here. My husband is Uruguayan. Yeah. I am in the countryside. It's beautiful. Like it, this place is just magical. It's like, I, so for me, like, I love being home. I want to spend the next year writing. I want to spend the next year getting back in touch. This was a travel year for me. About half the year I was away from home. So I love to just like eventually like my husband and I, we want to have kids. That's really important to me. And yeah, so I just like to keep creating things that are even more meaningful and connect me with other people. Yeah. And if I can do that next year and enjoy my life at the same time, that's like, Great. That was a successful year for me. And then as far as the other stuff, yeah, I just, I think people have a lot of attachments and I get it because I've been the same feeling with money, with fame, with like these markers of that I made it. Right. But I don't know if you've ever had this feeling. Have you ever noticed how sometimes when you should be made, you feel like you're making it the most, you're, you're miserable? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say you're fucking nope. miserable. Absolutely. <laughs> but you're miserable. Absolutely. I played and with 700 like, some, I played with 750 millionaires that were probably some of the most, some of them were the most miserable people on the planet. Because they just, it, it's just not good enough. They just cannot be happy, you know? And they're, they're playing major, this is what little kids want to do when they're kids like I want to play major league baseball and they're ha- they're on this field and they've made it and they're just they're just miserable it's like the more success they have the more angry they get or the more I think they fear success sometimes 
I've been there. I've been there where I just don't feel happy. And people are looking at me like I hated the game of baseball. I absolutely hated it for a couple of years. I wanted to take my ball and go home. I just didn't like it. I guess I had my perspective changed when I met a homeless girl. So uh, I, I definitely do see that. So in the end, if you had one, I, I say this, I ask this for everybody, through your entire, all the storms you've been through and, and deep, deep emotional storms, if you had one piece of advice for people that were listening, that are dealing with something similar or are in something similar or have come out of something similar, but they're just having a hard time moving on, what would be the piece of advice that has caused you to look at life the way you do, which I think is an awesome perspective? What would you give them to continue moving forward? Okay, this is tough. There's um, a philosophy and there's a beautiful book I recommend anybody reading by a Buddhist nun and it's called When Things Fall Apart. And that book was there for me when I needed when I needed it. But there's a philosophy, and I'm, I'm not going to do this justice, but bodhicitta about not hardening your heart to life. Mm. And for me, I think that the temptation as a person when you're hurt and when you, people are hurting you and you're suffering is to close yourself. Mm. It's to shut down and close yourself. And I think that in actuality, opening yourself up and softening your heart and like being vulnerable to what the situation has to teach you for the positive is really the only way to get through it in a way that makes you better. Mm. So if my advice Crazy. would be don't close yourself off because you've been hurt or because people are hurting you. Now that's not to say don't be smart or make boundaries, yeah. right? Oh, you don't yeah. want to let people hurt you, but hardening yourself and filling yourself with hate and anger. It's just another way that person wins. Mm. You're just hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Worse. I love it. I do. Very, very refreshing perspective from you. So I do appreciate it. Naya, this was awesome. Now, I was not raised in a mental illness situation. So this perspective for me was super helpful. So I, I do appreciate you being vulnerable. Uh, you were very vulnerable earlier, and I, and I do appreciate that. I think that it was uh, super intriguing to me, and I don't take lightly in saying that I, that I got to hear your story. I think it's super important and uh, you have a lot to give and I, I'll actually be checking out more of your music now just because I enjoy your thought process behind it. I, it's how wine is for me. I don't like wine until I understand how to pair it and then I'm like, wow, I really like wine because I actually understand <laughs> the process of it, right? So these kind of things help me. I'm very thankful for you. I'm thankful for the conversation. It was very valuable uh, to me personally and it was very, I'm sure it'll be valuable to our listeners. So I, I'm so thankful for it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And um, yeah, I would love to talk again sometime. Yeah, it's um, great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. I hope we run into each other. It'd be awesome. You've been dialed into the Built for the Storm podcast with Jeremy Affel. And he strikes out. That's four straight for Affel. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Affel. If you like what you heard, Please like, rate, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify today. Jeremy Affel here for Free Roam Brewing Company. Do you enjoy craft beer? I do. So I started Free Roam Brewing Company. Our logo, environment, and community all reflect the mighty buffalo, a creature built for the storm. It symbolizes inner strength, perseverance, and a love of freedom. 
Here at Free Roam Brewing Company, we are determined to strengthen our community through the love of craft beer. Our premium quality lagers and ales reflect the diverse experiences and tastes of our community. In a boundless world of potential beer styles, we cherish the freedom to roam. So if you're in the Bernie area, whether local or passing through, join us on Main Street and enjoy your freedom. Jeremy Affel here for the Hotel Via. I know you've heard it's at the intersection of sports, technology, and entertainment. But for me, it's my home away from home when I visit San Francisco. I can give you 50 great reasons why I chose Hotel Via, but it's easier for me to say it provides all the comforts of home, family owned and operated, and of course it's across from the beautiful Oracle Park. So when you're coming to San Francisco for business, pleasure, vacation, or just coming to a sporting event, check in to the Hotel Via.